to arrive at that moment where we have another change in our life. That's the privilege that we have in our age, that we can contribute whatever we want and find the people that are doing the work and find a way that we can contribute. We are not retiring anything. We are revving up to arrive at the moments and the organizations and the people that are waiting for us because they need us. Welcome to Reinvention After 50, a Brand 50 podcast where we interview a large spectrum of entrepreneurs that have started their businesses later in life. Learn, be inspired, and get motivated by their stories so that you can take your life's experiences and turn them into your next venture. And here are your hosts, Robert Erie Artboard and Stephanie O'Dell. Welcome everyone to Reinvention After 50, a Brand 50 podcast. And we have Stephanie O'Dell interviewing Dr. Betty Valencia, who was an immigrant from Mexico City. Give us a little brief history of you know, how she got here. Well, she immigrated as a child, and now it's been a while. How many brothers and sisters? I think she's the youngest. Of, 12. Was it 12? Yeah, a lot. Um, <laughs> whatever it is, it's a lot. Um, so immigrated here, and it's really interesting how you know you can define yourself sometimes by your circumstances, or you can rise above your circumstances. And I don't know if it's na- nature or nurture. I think it's nurture. Her mom was very supportive of kids going to college and doing not what they were destined, you know, what kind of told to do based on their circumstances. And she really has made a path for herself, especially in Orange County. You and I were just chatting about it. It's a very conservative area. And she has made a difference in the community. Yeah, and she really valued education. Like you said, her mother said education was very important. And she was the... I believe she said she was the first one to, you know, get a higher degree education. Matter of fact, she got a PhD at age 45 or started her PhD at age 45. Yes. And And also ran for office with no experience. Um, Right. I love the story of why she ran. And I'm wondering how it resonated with you. I know I was super impressed by why she decided to run for city council. Yeah. She, there was a need there. Her voice wasn't being heard. The community that she was in, like you said, Orange County is very conservative. And she basically stood up, and I think it's because her path to getting the PhD, the educational aspect, probably made her more confident to stand up for herself. Yeah, I think, again, that goes back to nature nurture. I think she's always had a strong personality, not strong personality, but a strong drive to be included. And she has a partner, she's Latina, so she was kind of being excluded in her community or not being represented. And she sat at this meeting and stood up and said, I don't see myself represented, so I'm going to make, I'm going to change that. And what was inspiring was that she kept talking about, this is one section of the interview where she talks about finding your voice. She was, boy, if you've ever, ever experienced when you, when you find your voice, meaning basically what you've been put on this earth to do, right? Right. That, kind of in a nutshell what she was talking about it feels so great and she said if you haven't found it yet keep going it's like what we were just talking about before it's that you know we start these businesses and you kind of ebb and flow and you have to change along the way and along that path you find different things about yourself right and things that resonate with you and I think it's important to listen to that and she you'll hear in the podcast I won't give it all away but the outcome was not what she expected but but it was even a bigger, again, with the ebbs and flows of the road, it didn't head in the direction she thought it was going to, but it became a bigger, she became a bigger voice than she realized she was going to. 
All right, let's throw it to the interview. Well, welcome. Thrilled to have Dr. Betty Valencia here today. Beatrice or Betty, which do you? Betty is great. Okay. Betty and I had the opportunity to meet, gosh, back in July, she reached out to me about joining Celebrate the Gray. And I am so fortunate to meet interesting women in, in building Celebrate the Gray. And Betty was one of those that when I met her, I said, oh my God, you need to be on the Brand 50 podcast because your story is really inspiring. And so welcome to Brand 50 podcast, where we talk about reinvention in midlife. You did your reinvention a little earlier than midlife. And I, it was very inspiring to me to hear your story. So I wanted to share that with our listeners. But let me do a little bio. Let me tell you who let me tell you who Betty is. Dr. Betty Valencia is a proponent of education equality and serves as the president of the Santiago Canyon Community College Foundation. So you've been in education. You're still in education. Um, president of the newly formed Hub for Integration, Reentry, and Employment for Formerly Justice Impacted Individuals. 2019, Betty was named Woman of the Year and one of Orange County's Register's Top 100 Influencers in Orange County, California. And we're going to talk a little bit about Orange County, too, about your community that you live in and how you can impact your community. And you are a motivational speaker on civic engagement, health justice, education equality, immigration reform, environmental justice, transformational leadership. You also do work with the LGBTQIA and equality, equity, and a published author around that topic. And born in Mexico City, youngest of 12 children, and a longtime married to longtime partner, Laura Villa, Villa. And your mantra this year question everything. Right. How's that going? It's going well. You know, um, I think we need to always encourage questioning, but somewhere along the line, we are told to just listen. And I think that's where uh, we come into our power, particularly what you mentioned. um, You know, I kind of turned things around at age 45. Uh, I just turned 51. So I'm happy to be included in the podcast. (laughs) But, you know, uh, I think that really speaks to what we're expected to do in our society. As uh, you read, I was born in Mexico City, last of 12 children, I'm Latina. So there's a lot of expectations around our what we're supposed to be, look like, sound like, act like, especially culturally, and then when we're in the United States. And so when I kind of started to really come into what I was feeling as this transformation, if you will, uh, was particularly about five years ago, was when I returned to school. Uh, I work in finance in the day, but I've always had my heart in education. And the reason my heart has always been in education, even though I'm not in uh, a teaching capacity, is because education is the reason I have arrived here. Mm. Education is my story. I talk about this in classrooms. Anyone that's willing to listen to the idea that not all of us arrive here in the same pathway. One, because that pathway may not exist for all of us. And that's where equity comes in. And also too, that we may be so conditioned not to even recognize it if it does. And so for me, education was that moment where I said, you know, I didn't graduate from high school. Um, A lot of literature around that academic literature really gives us an idea of what that means for a lot of uh, people of color, like myself, this notion that I dropped out of high school versus that I was pushed out of high school. And that's where education equity came in. So I've been hanging on to that notion. I've overachieved. I got my bachelor's. I got my master's. I have a great job, but something was always pulling. 
Something's always pulling all of us, by the way. We just yeah. got to like slow down enough and say, what's that pull? And that was education. So at 45, I went back to school and I said, I'm going to get my PhD in education. Wow. It's really around leadership. Now, I, did, I have a communication background, so I entered the education department. It's all new. So everything is shaking up at the same time. And this is where that second stage comes in of, you know what? I was, I was in this environment that I wasn't used to. Uh, it was one of the hardest things I've done. Uh, to all those PhD out there, I mean, I look up to you even more so now <laughs> because we tend to think that that's a very common degree, but it isn't. Can I stop you for ask you a question? But that's really what happened. Can I ask you a quick question about the PhD experience? Um, the age, your age when you're in those classrooms, because I hear a lot of women say, I can't go back to school. I'll be, I was just with a friend actually. And she said, I'm going to be the oldest person in the room. And I said, so what, like, what does that matter? Yeah. Did you feel age inclusion or did you feel excluded because of your age or was that not an issue? You know, that's a great question. And what I want to kind of give you this information, which I didn't even think I'd talk about, but we probably should, is right when I entered the program, about three months before, I had to have a radical hysterectomy. Mm. So now I have this body transformation. I'm entering this new environment and I'm 45. Certainly, I'm entering a, a, an environment where there were many younger than myself. One was 21, by the way. So I really felt out of touch with what was going on. I also didn't feel quite that I belonged until, and this is the moment I think that we all have to remember, until the professors in the classroom and the students, by the way, that are in these programs are so aware that there is knowledge that we share in that room. It wasn't until I was asked to, or invited, if you will, all of us were, by the way, by such professors, they invited us to bring in our knowledge. That's where I think we forget that when we get to that level, that hopefully professors like the ones I had in my university encouraged us to bring in everything that we are, everything that we have built, whether you're 21, 45, or 65. But I think also the knowledge, that's a key when you say knowledge, we sometimes think knowledge is book learning right. or work experience, that knowledge can look different for many different people. That's right. And, and one of the things that is also striking is that we have smaller classroom sizes, so these communities become essential to our success. So if you're thinking about getting a PhD at 45, 55, think about yourself that every community has an elder, if you will. It doesn't have to be an academic elder. It doesn't have to be, you know, age elder, but as you said, Stephanie, experience. And I think that we, we played on each other. Some of the younger students taught us a lot. Well, we then recollected, hey, you know, I have this experience from when I was, and we can bring that into the spaces. So um, it is true. It is absolutely true that the universities are not tailoring programs around adult learners. That's why we feel so left out because everything happens in the daytime, by the way. Yeah. All the fun stuff, all the rallies, all the, and then we as, as probably full-time workers come into campus when it's basically toning it down, the sun has set, and then you come in and it's real quiet and dark and it's about learning. And that's interesting. So, I never thought about that whole, yeah. That. And I think that's classrooms, right? They're mostly offered in the daytime, but then for part-timers or adult learners, evening classrooms. So the environment is different, but I can assure you that um, that it is just in our mind that we will feel out of touch or that we don't have anything to offer. It turns out that we have a lot to offer. We just have to give ourselves a chance to to share it. And did you have somebody in your life that 
kind of gave you that example of going for things later in life? You know, Stephanie, I don't, I don't have, um, I'm the only one in my family, as you mentioned, I'm the youngest of 12 children, you know, mom and dad, and I am the only one with a higher degree. It was very difficult uh, at that time to come up with how to pay for community college, how to pay for university. These are obstacles that were faced. And so I didn't see a lot of people that looked like me. Mm. I didn't have a relationship with a lot of people that went to school at 45 because they're dialed in in our you know, career. So I think that all of our journeys are going to be very unique and that you may have somebody you look up to and say, hey, that person did it so I can do it. And that's why representation matters, that people like myself and, and what you are doing are bringing these kinds of things to people so they can go, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize that there were other people also doubting, that there were other people thinking I'm not good enough and I'm not smart enough. I'm not ready. I don't have the energy. We have the energy. We've been multitasking since we were yeah. born. <laughs> I mean, that's one, right? But but that's what we we really uh, strive at, uh, particularly women and particularly older, older women. We know how to get things done with a small number of hours in the day. That is act- actually, I think, our, our golden ticket. We know how to work it. And now we just got to get in there and do it. Yeah. Well, I applaud you. And I think just the story of not having the money or the family pushing you to do that is super inspiring for other women to be given the permission to think about that as a possibility for themselves. So thank you for sharing that part of your story. And I know part of your journey to run for city council, you were at a meeting Mm -hmm. and I don't know if you stood up and said it or you're in my seat, but tell me about that story and had you been civically engaged at that point and what led to that experience? That's a great question. I think a lot of people assume that we come up from either, you know, law or something and we get into politics. But in my case, as you mentioned, everything sort of happened around this period of 45. And I don't know what, what, why or how, but it's about the listening to that. So I was in a meeting and I started to hear this narrative of uh, certain individuals not being included in community, that there was going to be a resolution against certain communities, uh, members that were undocumented. Not sure if I shared this, but in 1978, I came to this country at age six. I think there's a picture right over there. That's me in the in the middle. That was the age I came to the United States. I too was undocumented. So I come from these identities, these experiences. And when I heard that, you know, this sort of narrative around, we are not going to abide by the state of California, Sanctuary City, for example. I and this is in Orange County. This is in Orange County, California. And so I started to really listen to what was going on. And that's when I realized I need to get in there and really listen. So I, I would go into city council and really start listening to like, what are they talking about? Because I had to, I had to quickly learn. I, I had no idea about city council. I had no idea what policies they were uh, in charge of. But one thing I did fundamentally know and felt was that they shouldn't be tapping into sort of immigration or anything that excluded members of the community. That we are a community where people live, they work, they buy, they shop, they they worship. And that's our community. And so that's where I started to really question like my history. Here's my history, here's my experience, as traumatizing as it was, um, as afraid I wa- as I was as I was younger to speak up about these things, that there was a moment, this is the moment I think that all of us are gonna find ourselves, that moment when you are asked to be that person you were waiting for. We hear that a lot, right? Hey, yeah. you're the person you've been waiting for. And it turns out 
that was that moment in the city council meeting. It was a six hour city council meeting. They passed a resolution that was highly disappointed, even though the majority of the community residents of Orange were against it. And so that's when I stood up and I said, you're in my seat because that was me letting that person or those people know you don't represent my community. In fact, you have ignored what we were saying and you you did this for other reasons. And that's when I had my moment and at about 1130 at night, I decided I'm going to run for this thing. Called city. <laughs> I have no idea what that meant. Well, sometimes that being naive about a situation is that's a blessing. Right. Um, Absolutely. And, and it's, I think that that's super important, that comment that you made about listening to who you could be That's right. and not pushing it away. I mean, I think all of us do that. We have this visions of ourselves in our heads of yes. the possibility. And then we say, well, who am I to think I could do that? I'm not, I'm nobody, but you listened to that voice and you stood up and spoke out for others. And I think sometimes that's where it comes for where we see not just ourselves being excluded, but we see others being excluded. And so we take it upon ourselves to try to make change. And I think our generation is more willing to stand up and fight out against things than our parents' generation where say, well, that's just the way it is. So I I think that's to our benefit. So what happens after you at 1130 at night, you decide you're running for city council. What happens? Well, immediately, Stephanie, at 1130, uh, people gathered around me because I had spoken, you know, at that meeting I spoke. And that's, that's, I think what is, is right then and there, I found this thing called my voice. I'm telling you, if you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't experienced it, wait for it. It's coming or it's already there, just let it out. Yeah. I had uh, spoken about something that I was not ready really, but I spoke and, and it turns out that other people understood, they aligned and it was people of all ages, by the way, it wasn't just people my age, it was uh, uh, university students, it was professors, it was community organizers, it was retirees. Um, so that's what happened immediately. There was a community that built around this thing called running for office. Then I had a, my, my wife and I had to figure out how do we do this? So we just started to ask questions. We did the filing of paperwork. And before we knew it, we had a great team. We knocked on 10,775 doors in a short time. Um, You know, we came in third. We didn't win the two seats, but we came in third out of eight candidates, never having run before. So if you think about what that means, that's, that's really an incredible feat. And what we did do is change really the landscape and how the city of uh, my city, for example, uh, looked at future candidates. And after our candidates, uh, candidacy, things changed in the city. And now this next cycle, we saw young Latino professional running for to represent his community. I've heard people speak in city council about land and honoring our elders and inclusion and equity and leadership. These things I hadn't heard of before. And so I think that that is what we have to remember. And we learned that from other leaders uh, later on that sometimes a change that we wanted, we might not see it in our lifetime. We were fortunate enough to see it within months. So that's the power, that's the power that we have. And I wanna mention sort of, or, or add our age. Uh, that's the power and privilege. I want people to remember this is a great, great time and a privilege to be this age because there's something about this age that also gives us this tethering into our community and our grounding that people say, wow, you know, she's really experienced or you know, she's had these experiences and therefore, you know, I trust her. So we have to really look at our age, not as a, 
a deterrent to doing these things, but as a, a privilege of doing these things. And I, and I actually think about people that are using the word retirement, right? They start to talk about retiring. Yeah. Oh, what I was doing, or maybe they're thinking, no, not, I'm too old to run for office. I'm too old to get a PhD. I'm too old to do X. But it's because we we really are thinking only about this thing called retiring something. And that's the part that I kind of been pushing against, particularly when I was thinking about this podcast is pushing against retirement and, and really changing that narrative and say arriving, because that's what's happening to me. I'm arriving. I'm arriving at, you know, getting a PhD. I'm 50 now and I'm arriving at being named in 2019 uh, an influencer, which I was like, what does that mean? Uh, and it just meant that that people saw something in my leadership, in our leadership, in our campaign that influenced them, A, to speak up, to stand up, to run for office, to get a PhD. Because when I was doing this, I was also working on my PhD and I was working full time. So I was sort of representing many identities there. And the fact that I was the first openly queer candidate to run for office in this city was huge um, and now we have other candidates running as they are and that's really what the work was about it was about representation it was about saying i live in this city i might not have been born here but i got here as soon as i could and i want to be part of this community what else do i have to do and it turns out that other people felt like me yeah. even if you weren't born outside of the united states so that's what we're talking about when we say people our age we have a lot of power we just need to remember we're not alone. And it turns out there are other people waiting for us to speak up as well. Yeah, you did. It sounds amazing. The door you opened for other people to step through right. and gain their power back. And uh, I think we're more prepared too to deal with it. I think we have less to lose. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, and I think I shared with you that there was some ugly moments during this campaign and even a uh, you know, someone pulled a knife in city council because they were so fundamentally against this notion that someone like me, someone that was uh, not from the community and a queer woman would actually get this position as if that had anything to do with the lights and the landscape and the cement in our cities. And so we have to be ready to also face things in our lives that may not welcome us. But what we did is we didn't we didn't turn away and give up. We, toward, we, we ran toward it and we kept going. And that's when you let people know your hate, your disgust, your negative opinion of who I may be, regardless of what I, I am, is not the majority. That's what we have to remember, particularly during this time, is that there's more of us thinking about people and including people and community and being powerful at this age than there are others. So don't be afraid is, is one of the things that I always say. Don't be afraid because you will have community around you. Talk about some of those positive experiences, because I saw some pictures with some of the research I did and you got amazing exposure and tell me a little bit more about the positive side of the experience. Absolutely. I'll, I'll tell you the first one was knocking on doors as scary as it was, because I was told for many years, this community is too conservative. We live in a bubble. It's the orange curtain. You know, those narratives that get that trip you up a little bit and discourage you from trying something. So that was very scary. And it turned out that the more we knocked on the door, the more that we saw people that said, I can't believe there's a candidate, one, running and knocking on doors, and two, that believes in these things that I believe in. So that was immediately a positive um, outcome is that I didn't realize how many more people were also struggling in our community. Uh, that was definitely the first, the first um, moment. But also, as you said, we had quite a bit of attention. 
Uh, we had people reach out from other states, people reach out even from another country, they send a donation for, you know, $50. But somebody somewhere listened to our story, and they got it. And it wasn't just in Orange County. Uh, KQED uh, did a series on women running for office, and they found me and they said, would you be interested? And absolutely, I shared my stories. I shared my experience during the time I was running. Um, so for somebody to kind of come out and say, hey, look, we're noticing this nationwide. What is it? People were intrigued with what, what happened that you're here. And so we saw that sort of, I wasn't alone in that. So we got a lot of really positive attention. We made the the front page of a very conservative newspaper. That was a complete surprise. And so these things really were what we needed. We needed to visually see that things weren't as we were told, that things were not as we thought. And I think that is the biggest takeaway is our mind will trip us up. And the yep. narrative that we hear will trip us up. But it turns out that they're wrong. We were wrong. And it's about correcting and saying, wow, this is a discovery. That's why I say, this is about arriving. Like I arrived at a place that I hadn't been before, which is people included me and I included people. And that's the part I think that's the strongest is I, I have a hard time finding where is my home? You know, you'll hear this from people of other countries. Mm -hmm. uh, and no matter how hard I work and assimilate and how well I speak English and how educated I am, You'll hear things like in city council, you're not one of us. What does that mean? That's the stuff we have to challenge um, no matter what circle we're in, because it could be you're not one of us because you're over 50. So we need to turn that around and say, I'm here. I arrived. I'm part of this community. I belong to this community and I'm not going anywhere. And that's that privilege we have at this age. We don't have any more time to waste. Yeah, exactly. We got to <laughs> say, OK, what things didn't I do? You know, and now it's like, I'm going to do them. So we become bolder, stronger, more gray. Yep. But that's all a sign that we're arriving. Well, I always ask people too, like, where's your narrative coming from and where who's written your story and updating the visuals, the narrative that's used around all inclusion, you know, who has written that in the past. And yeah. it's our responsibility to change the perception into what a reality really is. Because I, I think a lot of times it's not because people are malicious. They're just uneducated about what the reality of someone's life is. So the more exposure, the more storytelling, the more meeting of people from different cultures, different backgrounds, then they start to see, oh, my perception of this is wrong. That's right. And that we have, like you said, and I think what's the most powerful thing you said is I found my voice, that your voice matters and that that voice is what changes perception to reality. That if we expect someone else to understand what our reality is, we're doing an in-service to them and to ourselves because they can't. And we, we buy into the messaging we're given that this is what our life's supposed to look like at a certain age. And so if we don't stand up and say, no, that's, I'm 60 and I started a business six years ago and I had no experience doing what I'm doing, the reality doesn't match the perception. So I think by you just stepping up and saying, I found my voice and this is who I am, like, look at me and I live here. This is who I am starts to change people's perception. So it's super right. powerful. So how is that work translate 
you're, you're doing work around all of that transformation. What are you doing now? And do you have sights set on being in that political realm at all anymore? Or have you opened the door and let others take on that? That's right. Um, So one of the things we always as a team talked about is not setting our sights on winning anything because it was the change that we wanted. So whether you win a position, a seat or what have you, uh, if there's no change, then what are you really winning? What are you really gaining? And so we saw that in our campaign. So after um, not gaining that seat, what we did accomplish was gaining so much more, so much more power within our city. So we've never left let that go. And while I'm not going to be running at least anytime soon that I can think of, uh, <laughs> I can never close the door. I know. Don't tell my wife that. Um, <laughs> it was very traumatizing. It took a lot from us. Uh, but it gave so much more. And so that's the part, there's a lot of healing that happens, but it's always having that part in in what is happening around your city, what is happening nationwide, what is happening globally. I, I like to say, think locally, act globally, right? That things that we can do locally, we can control. So we still have a very powerful voice. If there is something around you know, spraying of park, you know, pesticides or something, we still can gather and organize and say, hey, remember us? And they do. And they listen. So what we have done is to, as you said, open that door for others to come in, because that's really ultimately leadership, right? It's it's organizing yourself out of a job, if you will, get out of the way and let others through. That's what we're supposed to do in leadership. We're not the face or we're not supposed to be the movement. We are part of it. And so that's really what we're trying to do is let others in um, and supporting them. So we become a support network. Uh, a lot of our team still talks to each other. You know, we all went through it together. That's what the, the campaign does. You're, you're entire, you pull everybody in. Um, so while I don't have right now any notion around running for office, I am in different areas that, that are policy driven, whether it's an LGBTQ caucus let's say of the state of California, I'm part of the Latino Chicano caucus, the largest caucus in the state of California. And it's really about making sure that we're being represented, that things that are happening, that impact our local communities, that impact my neighbors, myself, that we can have some say in that. But I'm also, as I, as you read earlier, I also get invited to classrooms quite a bit to talk about my educational journey. So it's about sharing with people my story, sharing my, uh, with people my outlook and sharing with others and encouraging others to keep moving forward, whatever it is that they may want to do. But it's also this, and this is for everyone. I should have worn a shirt today. I was going to get it one printed that says, I noticed something because every time I come home, I tell my wife, I noticed something. She's like, oh no, oh no. That's, that's our job. It's noticing things, small things like walking into my branch. I shared it with you in my, in my banking institution. I've been part of for 25 years. And it finally hit me as I walk into this branch and they have these awesome posters of families and employees of the school district. And I started to really say, wait a minute, where are people like myself? Where are the Latina queer, you know, over 50? And we're making up the membership of this bank. So it's noticing things like that and then saying, hey, by the way, I'm your member and I've been coming to this institution. It turns out I'm not home here either you're supposed to be creating a home for me because I'm helping you work this thing called family, according to them. So it's bringing up those kinds of issues. And for the first time, I'm hoping, we'll see if it's real, they will have um, my wife and myself on their website representing our generation and our community. 
it's still to be seen. They they got out here, they did photo shoots, they, they shared our story, but we still are waiting to see will they put it on their website. So these are the things that we are tasked with at our age saying, hey, wait a minute, I've been part of this institution 25 years, 30 years, but you don't represent me. We were in Banana Republic a few days ago and I couldn't wait to share this with you. I saw this great pair of pants that I'm wearing now and I found a pair on the like clearance section and I go and I said, could you have my size? And um, she says, oh, I don't know. This is a retired series. And there is that word retired again. <laughs> That's my series. Then she orders it. Then I started to look around under Banana Republic. I'm like, I shop this store. It says it's for 15 to 65. And if you look at their models, there's only one man so far that I have found that is over 50 probably. Other than that, we're not represented in, in, in these organizations. So it's about noticing these things and saying, hey, Banana Republic, if you're listening, if you're going to listen to this podcast, come on now. Yep. We are buying your merchandise. We are helping you grow. Where are we in your story? Right. So these are the things that I want to kind of give to everybody. When you notice something, it might be small but it's already bugging you. Therefore, you should try and say, can I change that? And it turns out we can. We can change things. I think that works on the other side too. I encourage people when they see someone doing it well, like when the bank finally does post your picture, please send it to me and I'm going to write them and say, thank you for representing us authentically because they don't get that feedback either. So if they see, oh, consumers do want this because- their dollars are being spent here, but we're not representing them. So um, I think it works. The back to the voice, um, you know, I I encourage people to be their own advocate and step up and say, I shop here. I don't see myself. That's right. You need to represent me. And it takes more than one person saying that it's, it's, you know, all of us together stepping up and saying, this is not who we are and this is not how we want to be represented. So you've done it on many levels and now, you know, you're doing it with us at Celebrate the Gray and you're doing it in the Latina community, in the LGB community. I I mean, it's super powerful what you're doing. And I, I know when you first were running, you had that moment of, do I speak who I really am. That's right. And that moment must have been huge when you did and the positive feedback that you got from it. And I was discouraged from it when I met with, you know, people say, hey, if you're thinking of running for office, you should meet with X, Y, and Z because everybody has a pathway, right? And it turns out that pathway is wrong. So I met with these so-called queen makers, if you will, or king makers. And one of the things I was encouraged by the former mayor, by the way, and I can say this because it's true, is don't say, you're, you're queer. Don't say that, you know, it was like, wait, so you're trying to tell me not to be me. Why would I ever put myself out if it's not about me? So it's really understanding when you get bad advice, when you get bad advice, it's just bad. And you'll know because you start to retrieve into what you were doing before. And that's not what we want to do. We want to move forward. We want to open doors. And if we're already questioning, that means we have the voice to do so. So it became one of these situations where I knew what I had to do. I don't know how. I just knew that it wasn't the other. Like I didn't have it formulated. I didn't have the plan. I just knew it wasn't that. Hiding myself wasn't an option anymore. And so when I first announced that I was running for office, my university put out an article, you know, Betty Valencia bursting the orange bubble, and they named everything, every identity, you know, born in Mexico City, an immigrant, received amnesty in the 80s, 
uh, married to her longtime partner. These things that you read today, by the way, would not have been something I would have shared years ago. And it's partly because of, you know, being an outsider and 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 this is the the way I grew up was seeing. But those were the stories you were told of what was acceptable. Exactly. And that's the whole, you know, when you come to a country, you don't speak English, you have to assimilate, you lose a lot of things. And those are your identities. You struggle with identity, you struggle with belonging, you struggle with feeling, wait, I came from somewhere. It's good enough. It's it turns out these identities, Stephanie, that we just talked about are what make us powerful and what make our voice powerful. And we've been told, keep them quiet, they're they're weaknesses. And it turns out they're not. They're what make this voice that you're hearing today. They're they're what makes this story meaningful to people because we finally say, wait a minute, I was bamboozled. No, nuh-uh, you're not gonna trick me anymore. And so while it was very scary, and I wanna point out that all of this if you're not nervous or somewhat scared about it, then something's not right because it is scary. You're breaking stereotypes. You're breaking barriers. You're knocking down doors. And no matter how you do it, it's going to be scary. But no, you're not alone. Uh, build a community around yourself. There are people that support you and believe in you. And it just you just got to put all that into uh, frame and then uh, get to it. Get yeah. to it. And you had big challenges. And to overcome and to step through. I mean, you look at women, the boxes that we get put upon, put into as we age and they're much smaller doors to open and go through. So I hope your story really inspires people to say, wow, she really put herself out there and had a positive experience that I'm afraid of wearing color. I'm going to wear color for God's (laughs) sakes or let my hair go gray. So I think it's really powerful. Yeah. Well, what's next for you and where can people find you if they want to learn more about you or help in your causes? Absolutely. Um, We have a website, uh, you know, www.doctorabetty.com and I can share it. But if you just look up Betty Valencia in the city of Orange, you'll find us. What really we want to do or what I want to do is really just inspire people to keep going. If there's a way that I can assist, if there's a way that I can share any knowledge that I might have gained, that's what really we're tasked with, right, is sharing what we have learned, sharing from our experiences so that other people may not have to go through some of those hurdles and that we can facilitate any dialogue. I just want to let people know that what I do in the city of Orange, anyone can do in their cities, in their communities. It really is about making sure that people feel they're not alone. And you're not alone. Um, you can reach out to me and I can you know, share my story, talk about whatever it may be that people are questioning. What's next for me is really uh, getting through my you know, next couple of years, really getting ready to arrive at this higher, by the way, which I'm going to arrive at the point where I will be able to do whatever I want, right? That if I if I waited, you know, very a long time to learn how to play piano, I'm going to learn it. If it's about, you know, snorkeling, you know, five days a week, I'm going to do it. So <laughs> I'm getting ready um, to arrive at that moment where we have another change in our life. And that's unfortunately, uh, you know, attached to age. We're told we're supposed to retire at a certain age. You know, I know that's financially a situation, but I'm also pushing against that. I'm like, I'm going to arrive when I'm ready. Right. That's when I'm going to arrive. So um, that's really what I'm working toward. I keep uh, becoming involved in uh, community colleges, which I am a big advocate for. So I'm currently uh, working uh, at community college as a foundation president. 
The reason being that people need to remember that community college is not a stigma. It is a pathway, it is a bridge. And if it wasn't for that bridge, I wouldn't be here today. So it's really making sure that as, as much as I can to tell people, particularly people like myself, that maybe didn't uh, make it through high school and feel really let down by the school system, that we don't have to take it. That's why my license plate says GD to PhD. I'm <laughs> that out here. Um, because that's really what we want to talk about. It's pushing away. Look, that's that's a stereotype. That's a narrative. We don't have to stay there. And I was for a moment going to stay there. But if it wasn't for community college and it wasn't building up everything, my education, my my self-esteem, my confidence, I wouldn't be here today speaking to you. So that's the things that I'm doing, working in community college and different organizations that I believe in, health equity. I just want to contribute. That's the privilege that we have in our age, that we can contribute wherever we want and find the people that are doing the work and find a way that we can contribute. We are not retiring anything. We are revving up to arrive yep. at the moments and the organizations and the people that are waiting for us because they need us. Well, I love that you're arriving. Uh, and I think there's no such thing as retirement anymore. It's an evolution of there you go. taking our wisdom and experience to another level and to another arena that we may not have thought about. So that's right. you're definitely breaking many stereotypes and um, opening lots of doors for people to think about things different and be given permission just to think about the possibilities of what age can look like. So I yes. applaud you and I thank you for sharing your story. Thank you, Stephanie. And I'm excited to see what's next. So we'll definitely be following you. We'll share all your contact information in the show notes so people can find you. But thank you for your time today. It was great to talk to you and thank share you. your story. And thank you. And listen, if you have this kind of genetics going on, welcome it. It is amazing experience. We have to move away from saying that gray hair means anything other than we get a chance to change our hair color. How amazing. <laughs> I was born a brunette and I had curly hair and this is my evolution. I know I'm a brunette with, with gray coming in and um, it, it's slowly coming in. I, I, but I applaud you joining Celebrate the Gray and being an advocate thank for change you. for women. So thank you. And thank you so much. I look forward to the next time we have a conversation. Absolutely. And thank you for including me. Thank you for, uh, you know, honoring this time of our lives and for really pushing for representation. I wouldn't align with Celebrate the Gray if you didn't align with what I believe in. And that's really rare. So congratulations to you, to Thank everyone you. who's on there. Uh, representation matters. And this is how we're going to get it done. Yep, exactly. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information on all of our guests, go to brand50.com, where you'll find show notes and other resources to help guide you through the next exciting phase of your life. Please consider subscribing to our podcast on iTunes, along with other platforms, and write us a review while you're there. You can also sign up for our email list on our site to get the latest podcast updates. We promise you won't get a constant barrage of emails from us, and you can bet we'll protect your privacy as well. You can also follow us on social media accounts listed on our site. Thank you for listening.